need you, Lord. We need you. We've come in here and we've gone through the formalities many, 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 many times. We know what to do and what to say and how to act. We come together before each other. We know all about it, Lord. We've been here many times. That's not what we want. We simply want the presence of the Lord. We invite you to come into this house. We invite you to be here. We need you. In thy name I pray. Amen. All right. Well, good to be here. Hope uh, don't put your tomato plants out yet. It'll probably get cold again. Amen. <laughs> but I'm glad for the warm weather, for whatever it's buttering four degrees. Amen. We had the other day. Good night. <laughs> well, I tell you what, if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Jude with me tonight. Last book of the Bible before the last book of the Bible. Little book. Book of Jude. Verse number 23. Jude, uh, verse number 23, there's only one chapter, and the scripture says, And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Father, bless this word now. Thy name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. If you notice how the word flesh is used here, there's no question that it's talking about the body. No question. Now look at the book of uh, John, chapter number 3 and verse number 6, the gospel of John. John 3. This is our Lord's uh, talk with Nicodemus. John chapter number 3 and verse number 6. The scripture says in John 3, 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Here we go again. We're talking about flesh. All right, born. And it's the body that has been born. So there's no question in the New Testament when it uses the term flesh many times, but not always. It's referring to the body. Now, don't you look at Romans chapter number 7 and verse number 5. Romans 7, 5. Romans chapter number 7. And verse number five, for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Now flesh is reaching a little deeper than simply the body. It's having to do with the person, the identity of that individual with the flesh. I'm going to say this tonight, and you know this by experience, flesh becomes addicted to something, it's addicted and a lot of times a person's born again, they're saved, but the addiction is still in the flesh. And many times, I've heard the testimony and seen it many times, people severely addicted to drugs and so forth, the moment they were saved, God delivered them at that very moment and praised God for it. That's a wonderful victory. That's a wonderful thing. But it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes the addiction continues on in the flesh, in the body, and so therefore, but here's the difference. Once they're born of the Spirit of God, they've got a power in them they didn't have before. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome, to battle that addiction in the flesh. Sometimes the addiction takes time. It takes time. You may, take, you may have to have professional counseling. 
You may have to have medical attention, you may, any, any of the things necessary to deal with addiction. Certainly, you do what you have to do, but you rely upon the Lord to get you through it. Now, we live in a drug-addicted society, folks. I mean, it's terrible. You hear about all of these people dying from the fentanyl, and, uh, you know, this is what they're doing is lacing the drugs with it because it's so cheap. And so the people buy what they think is uh, heroin, and, but it's laced with fentanyl, and it's killing people. That's a horrible thing. Of course, the people selling it, they don't care if you live or die. The love of money is the root of all evil. They don't care anything about that. All they want is the money. But the problem is sad that a nation like this one has so many people addicted. And so the flesh can certainly become addicted. And, uh, and that addiction sometimes is hard to break. And truth of the matter is, and I've learned this from experience, uh, you know, I've been at this a long time. I, I firmly believe that there are people who are saved and they've been born of the Spirit of God, but they never fully break the addiction. The flesh has them bound, and they, they never, they're never able to break free from it. And uh, I've seen it happen, and more than once. It's sad when it happens, but let me tell you this, folks. Uh, you, you, uh, you are born of the Spirit of God, not of the flesh, all right? And that new birth cannot be changed, and the flesh cannot take from it. And once you're born of the Spirit of God, flesh or no flesh, whether the flesh is addicted or not addicted, you're going to glory. You're going to heaven. And I thank God for that. I certainly do. Sometimes people that are born again in the latter years of their life or because of an accident or something, they're put on pain pills, and then they become addicted. And they're truly saved. But this addiction is strong. So just keep that in mind. Just because somebody's addicted to something doesn't mean they're lost. You got a lot of legalists out here that would disagree with me on that. But your flesh doesn't determine where you go. Your spirit does. Amen. And so the apostle made it plain. But in Romans chapter number five, seven, chapter seven, verse number five, he said, "When we were in the flesh." Now look at verse number eighteen. How the scripture begins to unfold this for us. Romans chapter seven and verse number eighteen. Now look at this, Romans 7, 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good which I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that what I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now here we have sin introduced for us. And let me say this about sin. Anytime you find the word sin showing up in the Bible, the scripture is written to give you the remedy for sin, the savior from sin. It talks about the power of sin. Sin, when it is finished, James says plainly, bringeth forth death. The problem with, uh, with some people is that they get a, they get a, a list and that's all they preach. They preach a list of sins that they're against, all right? And that's it. That's all they preach. Now, you don't condone sin, but the truth of the matter is, if you're going to make a list of sins, you'd better have a long one. Amen. You better have a long list because uh, when you start dealing with the sins of the flesh, it can get very involved. 
The Bible says when Christ came into the world, he came to take away sins, it says in the book of Hebrews. John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. All right. Now, I'm just going to put this out for you and just touch on it tonight. But I'll, I do things like this to make you think. I want you to think. Um, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's quite a thing. All right. So we have a difference between sin and sins. Quite a one. You remember I talked about the Song of Solomon the other day. And the Song of Solomon is about communion. It's about communion with God. Communion, fellowship with the Lord. And it's, it's, if, you, if you approach it from that perspective, it has a lot of meaning. And a lot of people begin to see that. They begin to understand it. But don't you look at the Song of Solomon and get you a concordance and see if you can find the word sin. See if you find it show up one time in the Song of Solomon. Now, are you looking kind of puzzled? How many of you believe that the Shulamite was a sinner? Of course she was. Of course she was. But he never called her that. Do you know why? Because they were dealing on a much higher level, the level of fellowship. You see, my dear friend, your flesh cannot overcome the flesh. You don't have the ability to put any sin away. You have no power over sin, never have had, never will have. The power over sin is the finished work of Christ. It's what he did. It's a spiritual thing at the cross at Calvary. That's where the power lies against sin. The problem is that Satan is a master at keeping us in the dark as to that simple fact. And he'll give you all kinds of religious formulas to keep you bound up to where you never really get to the real thing that can make you free. That's the problem. That's the problem. You can do penances. You can repent. And I'm not against repentance at all. I believe it. But my dear friends, repentance does not get you right with God. What gets you right with God? Faith in Christ. Faith in the finished work of Christ. And then once you have done that, repentance will flow from you like a river. It's the outworking of the Holy Spirit of God. So when you're dealing with the flesh, bear in mind that even though you may feel clean tonight, you may feel uh, like there's really nothing between you and the Lord, uh, you have to go a little deeper than that. Because if you're going to have fellowship with God, you're going to have to do what it says in 1 John chapter number 1. You're going to have to listen to the Holy Spirit. You're going to have, you're going to, you're going to, have to walk with him. You're going to have to commune with him. And you see, you don't hear much preaching like that. You don't hear much preaching like that. Churches I've been in, the only, one, the only scripture they'd ever used was 1 John 1, 9. That's the only one they ever quoted. And what does 1 John 1, 9 say? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many's heard that scripture quoted? How many's heard it preached? Many times, all the time. What about the one that precedes it? If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. What about the one that follows it? If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. How many times have you heard that preached? You don't. And the reason you don't is because everybody has a little bit of self-righteousness. And they don't like to admit that they're sinners. Right. I was listening to a woman today uh, on, the, uh, on YouTube. And I had to hear it. My, I heard it with my own two ears. She said, I'm not a sinner. Now, she's a nationwide evangelist. Nationwide evangelist. I guess you know who I'm talking about. She said, I'm not a sinner. 
She said, that's a doctrine straight out of the pit of hell. Really? He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. What that man say when he walked and wouldn't even lift up his head toward heaven, but he smote upon his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a righteous one. No. You say, well, now that was before the preaching of the grace of God. Oh, I'm glad you called my attention to it. How about Titus chapter number one, where the apostle Paul said, of all the sinners on this earth, of all of them, Paul said, I am chief. He didn't say, I was chief. He said, I am chief, present tense. You don't revel in it, and you don't glorify it, and you don't brag about it. It's, uh, it's what's called pragmatism. You acknowledge a fact that is present, and there's nothing you can do to change it. But what you do is to relate it to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew when he saved you, you're not going to be perfect. But he takes imperfect people and he uses them and has communion with them. But the only way he can do that is to commune with you, talk with you, and get you to acknowledge that Christ is the only way that you can come by grace into the presence of God, pleading the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ upon your soul and accepting what he's done for you. And say, Lord Jesus, I don't deserve to have communion with you. I don't deserve to be able to fellowship with you and talk to you. I can't earn this great privilege to come into a place like a blessing like that with you. But the Lord Jesus did it, and I'm not going to call him a liar. He did it. And so I'm going to accept what he did. And that's what you're doing. For by grace you're receiving something's much greater than you or me. In Romans 8 and verse 9, but you're not in the flesh. But in the spirit, see now, here we go. We've got flesh and spirit set in contradistinction to each other. But you're not in flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. And if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. All right. So the Bible says, if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. So and I'm, I'm going to cut it off there tonight as it, as it relates to uh, the issue of sin in the flesh. Just to give you the basic foundation of what I'm talking about, was a strange thing how that, uh, that when you see something like that, like the Song of Solomon, the word doesn't show up there. Why doesn't it show up? And for that matter, how many have ever noticed in the book of Revelation, when you get home, do a, do a, a concordance. If you have a computer, that's a wonderful tool. You pull up the Bible programs and zzz, they'll go right through there and pull up every word for you. And see how many times the word sin shows up in the book of Revelation. I'm not talking about what they did, sins. I'm talking about the word itself. See how many times it shows up. It's quite remarkable. And there's a reason for all of this. And uh, you need to understand it. For the Bible says if he came to take away sin and putting away sin by the sacrifice of himself, what in the world are we talking about and what's he dealing with? And this is something that I pray about every day of my life and uh, pray for God to give me the kind of wisdom I need to know how to deal with it. Now I want you to look at something that's important. Look at Philippians chapter number 2. And verse number 5. Philippians 
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. All right, now hold your place there and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 and verse number 18. Corinthians 2.18. I guess it'll be 2 Corinthians 2.18. I don't have 1 Corinthians 2.18. Somebody ripped some books out of my Bible here? What's going on? Pardon? 2.16? All right, well, maybe I wrote it down wrong. Okay, but I'm, I'm sure, I'm certainly capable of that. All right, let's look at it. Thank you. That's it. I wrote the wrong reference down. It's 2.16. 1 Corinthians 2.16. Now look at this. For who hath known the what? The mind of the Lord that he may instruct him. But we have the what? The mind of Christ. All right. Now look at Second Corinthians, chapter uh, uh, chapter. Well, let's go to Second Corinthians two eighteen. Let's see what we got there. Shucks, if we don't do anything else, we'll jump around in the Bible tonight. That's not it either. No, no, no. That's not Corinthians. That's Colossians two eighteen. <laughs> Go to Colossians chapter number 2, verse 18. When you get old like me, you can kind of overlook some of this stuff, you know. Colossians 2, 18. There it is. Now look at that. Colossians 2, 18. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility in worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, watch this, vainly puffed up by what? Fleshly mind. All right. Okay. Now I'm going to go back and I'm going to read Philippians. I'm going to read Philippians chapter number 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's obvious that we've got two entirely different minds going on here, right? Certainly we do. In plainer words, you're capable of thinking in two poles apart, two different minds. One mind that is a fleshly mind that is fed by the wisdom of this world by the way people in this world see things, the way they reason, the way they understand, that's a fleshly mind. And that fleshly mind can go right on into religion because a lot of religion itself is based upon human wisdom, experience, and so forth. Or you can have the mind of Christ. And this is what the apostle is talking about in Philippians. Because in Philippians chapter number 2, he said, Let this mind being you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
Now, what does it mean, mind? Well, it means, the, it means you're thinking. You've got a brain. Brain has, has uh, you know, has memory uh, uh, banks, if one way to put it. And you can either access the fleshly part of that brain or you can access the spiritual part of that brain. But what does the choosing is not the brain. The choosing is the soul. Because this is the part of you that he's instructing. Your soul is going to make a decision. Are you going to receive the things of God as God explains it and defines it in the scripture? Or are you going to understand it and receive it as the world describes it? So once your soul makes that decision, you're going to follow it as the world does. The brain has all kinds of information stored up there that you can access, pull out, build whatever system you want. But if your soul chooses to serve the Lord, and in this case in Philippians 2, humility is the object and subject of the thing. And if you choose from your soul to serve the Lord and humble yourself and be obedient to the Lord God, then your brain can be accessed and you'll pull things out of your brain from experience and scripture that will feed to that and help that. You see what I'm saying? The brain is not the source of anything. The brain's an instrument. The soul is what uses the brain. This is why he's instructing you. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. So you have a choice to make. How am I going to think and what, am, what, am I, what are my thinking processes going to be? What, I, what information am I going to access? For example, I can go to my brain and I can, of course, God's blessed me with terrible memories, so I don't remember all the things, bad things people said about me have done to me. Some folks can remember everything that's ever been said about them, never been done to them. <laughs> you talk about a miserable thing. But let's just say, for example, I choose tonight to go to my brain and remember all of the garbage and the junk and the bad stuff and all of the things that have happened to me in the church house and here and there and here and there in life and this and that and this and that. Now, do you think I'd, I'd, I'd start singing after I did that? You think that put me, do you think I'd be rejoicing and joying in the Lord after I did all that? No. But what did I do? The brain didn't do that. My soul did that. And my soul accessed the brain, which is simply an instrument, and pulled all that out. Now, let's say I choose. Remember Fanny Crosby? I think she was five years old when a little country doctor used a mustard poultices, they say, for some affliction that she had, and it blinded her. She made a choice, and she said she did when that happened to her. She said, I chose. She said, I could either become bitter, full of hate, wanting revenge, and let it destroy my life, or... I could take it and use it and let it become an instrument to draw me closer to God and to know him in a personal, greater way. And of course, Fanny Crosby did that. That's exactly what she did. And uh, Johnny Erickson Tada, she was a 17, 18-year-old teenager, dove off in a lake, a pool, or somewhere, hit her head against a rock, and she became a paraplegic. And the rest of her life she spent in a wheelchair and still is. But she has blessed so many people. So I have the greatest respect for Johnny Erickson Tata. She made a choice. She made a choice. And she chose for that to become an instrument, just like Fanny Crosby did, for that to become an instrument to draw her closer to the Lord and to know the Lord in a special way, to know him in a special way. She knows things about the Lord, dear friend, that I'll never know in this life. 
Don't ever be so arrogant and proud to think that you know everything there is to know about the Lord. You have to walk in the shoes of some people to understand how God's dealt with these people, the life they've lived. If you haven't lived that life, you don't know. You don't understand. You may empathize with them. That's all fine, well, and good. But you cannot know in the recesses of your soul what they've been going through. You see what I mean? So therefore, she's able to minister to us. She ministers to me, has so many times. But how many people out there that are quadriplegic has she ministered to? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Or like Fanny Crosby or others like that. Well, of course. It's because they made a conscious decision from their soul to not let that destroy them, though they never forget it. It'll always be in the memory banks. It'll always be there, but it is not the driving force of their life. It, not, it is not what defines who they are. What defines who they are is their relationship with the Lord that they have chosen, consciously chosen, and that's the way it's going to be. Do you know what happens? God blesses it. That's what happens. That's what happens. He blesses it. So uh, when things do happen, and they do happen, they're going to happen, uh, let it be a time of uh, drawing, near, drawing nigh to God, draw nigh to him. He may not explain it to you. You may not understand it at the time. Truth is, sometimes you may never understand all the issues. But the truth of the matter is, it's not whether you understand. It's the faith that you have in him because you know his character. And that's the greatest thing you can know about God. Remember this, Jeremiah chapter number 9. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That's the greatest thing we can know. Know the Lord. Know him. Know his character. We know him. I know he's, he's not playing with me tonight. Is he playing with you? No, he's not playing with you. Was he playing with Job? Of course not. That we understand and know him. His character. That'll get you through. It gets me through. Because he has sterling character. His character is above reproach. His character is undeniable. His character is pristine. It's perfect. It's pure in every sense of the word. The Lord God's the Lord God. And I love him because he's the Lord. Now he tells us to do something in the same book. Look at chapter number 4 and verse number 8. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, do what? There's the mind again, see? Think. Actively participate. Let your mind think on these things. Now, find me one negative thing in that whole verse. It's all positive. Every bit of it. Positive. The Bible says now, brethren, singing to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I don't do much of that. You know why? I don't want to torment myself. Amen. I find somebody who can sing. I listen to them. <laughs> but I like the psalms, which are songs. You learn that. You get up in the morning, and if you're not careful, 
You know, you get your mind off on a bunch of stuff, nitpick that, snipe at this, this, that, this, that, the little foxes that spoil the vines, you know that? Here we go. First thing you know, you're in a bad attitude, bad state of mind, whole day shot. And uh, you're just miserable all day long. It's a choice you made, though. You made that choice. Don't do that. Don't do that. The Apostle Paul says, I can do a few things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Is that right? What did he say? All. I can do all things. Yes, he did. The apostle had a very positive attitude. Now, he said, told him, he said, if anybody, anybody could, you know, could complain, I can complain. If anybody could go on about what's happened to them, I can go on about what's happened to me. He told him over there, shipwrecked, beaten with, with uh, cords and all of that. He said, but this is not me. I'm not going to do it. No, I'm going to rejoice in Christ. And again, I say rejoice. Your attitude is going to determine you, your life. Your attitude. It's, a, it's absolutely necessary tonight, folks, that your attitude be right. And it needs to be a positive attitude. That doesn't mean that you don't deal with negative things. It happens. But take a, ne take a positive attitude about a negative thing. <laughs> ask, God to give you, ask God to give you wisdom about how to deal with it. And he'll use it. The scripture says all things work together for good. You may not see any good in it at the time, but it hadn't finished working, has it? When Joseph was thrown into that dungeon, man, that thing was full of rats, full of filth, full of vermin. You can imagine those dungeons back in those days, they didn't have jail inspectors. You talk about a filthy pit. Here he was, the man who had the coat of many colors, the dreamer, and there was no question about it, Joseph. <coughs> Here he is in a pit. <coughs> Here he is in a pit. He's locked up in a dungeon. What did John the Baptist say when they locked him up in a dungeon? Anybody remember? What did John say? He said he sent his disciples to Christ and he asked him a question. What, did, what was the question? Somebody tell me. Surely you all, you all know. What did he say? Or should we look for another? Go back and tell John. That's what he said. Go back and tell him. Yeah, go back and tell him. And here's what he said now. He said, now you wait, before you start judging John, all of them born of woman, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Amen. Now Paul and Silas were thrown into a dungeon. Philippian jailer, you remember Philippi? Thrown into a dungeon. <coughs> Probably to be executed the next day. What'd they do at midnight? <laughs> they sang praises to God, didn't they? Amen. It's been said many times that uh, real praise that comes forth from the soul of a person can really change everything about you. Real praise we're talking now. And uh, I remember Brother Renfro up here in, uh, in Virginia. He's, he's a medical doctor. We had him here uh, four, five, six years ago. He had terminal cancer. His body was all swollen. He had, he had tumors. I mean, you, you need to see it to believe it. Unbelievable. The doctor finally sent him home and said, I'm going to let you go home. We're going to give you what we can for pain. You're, you're, you'll, you may make it through Christmas and probably won't, but we're going to send you home. But this doctor said, I went before the Lord and I thanked him for who he was and I praised him for who he was. And I continued to praise him and thank him because of who he was. 
I prayed that he'd heal me. I put my life and my body in his hands. Trusted him by his stripes. We were healed, that scripture says. Clung to that, embraced that. Called upon the name of the Lord and praised him. He said, I praised him, thanked him, praised him, blessed his holy name. And you know what happened? God healed him. And when he healed him, the nurses and the doctors in that hospital, because they knew what he had, it had never happened before, never happened before, they started getting right with God, praising the Lord, because they knew they were witnessing a miracle. Miracles do happen, folks. And he did it in the midst of a horrid situation. And God brought him through it. Now, I know he doesn't always do that. I understand that. But he did him. And I believe, that, I believe God does that sometimes just to put hope out there, to, to let you know that it makes a difference how hard it is, how bad it looks. And we thank God for the good doctors. Good night, man. I'm going to go see one in the morning. Just had one do an ablation on me a week ago. A week before that, had to, went to see another one. I respect and love my doctors. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the final word. Final word, the final word in your healing. Keep that in mind. Amen. So you have every reason tonight to get up and walk out of this house singing and praising God and glorifying his holy name. Just don't ask me to. <laughs> I don't want to mess up your evening. God gave me a love for music, but he didn't give me any musical ability. I have this man sitting on the end over here, this pew. Good night. Brother Walden, just sit down over here and play that piano. I'll tell you the truth, it beats all I've ever seen. I've got a granddaughter that can do that. She's here tonight because her little, my, my little great-grandson's back there somewhere. She could do that when she was just a little girl, this big. She was writing music and playing it on the piano by ear. That's a gift from God. She sure didn't get it from me. <laughs> That's a gift. And you praise God for it. Now, the Bible says to stir up the gifts that are in you. And so if you've got that gift tonight and you're not using it, shame on you. If God's given you a gift in the church that will bless other people and you're not using it, shame on you. Y'all be ashamed of yourself. Well, preacher, you ought to use it. If you ought to use it, amen. Leave out of here tonight with a positive attitude. Because, folks, if, I, if this is the last time you ever see me and my old heart stops on me tonight, I know whom I have believed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they rolled me back there the other day. They took me back in there. There was about seven or eight people in that thing. I laid, they moved me from this gurney over onto the bed. And they were hoping one's over here doing this and they were doing that. I'm looking around at all this stuff. You know how I am. Well, what's that piece of equipment there? What's this thing doing over here? Well, this, 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 this. And then this mask came up. <laughs> <laughs> and all I remember is that that mask came up, and that's the last thing I remember. I was gone. Four hours later, I woke up. But I never worried for a second if I didn't wake up where I was going. No fear. None. Amen, folks. No fear. Glory to God. I hope you don't tonight. If you, fear, if you fear that, the Bible teaches the Old Testament saints, many of them had fear of death because of the fact that Christ had not risen. You shouldn't do, you shouldn't have to, but if you do, just pray for God to give you grace and to, uh, and to deal with it. I remember when I was a boy, and I'll shut up.
a little boy, went up to, went up to Chicago. My aunt lived in Chicago, and uh, she was married to a, a Jewish, uh, he was an orthopedic surgeon, she was a nurse, and we stayed with him. And uh, she's a very smart woman, very smart. And uh, I remember her talking about uh, a member of the family up there. She said, she has a morbid fear of death. She is literally petrified at the thought of dying. Well, I was about five or six years old. You know, that, what, what does a kid like that, how do they relate to something like that? But I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. A morbid fear of death, scared to death of dying. I hope you're not like that tonight. I hope not. I hope you're not. I hope you're not. Father, bless your word. Thank you for the time together. Lord, we pray we can walk out of the house tonight and rejoice and praise you because you're the Lord. You've been good to me. You've been good to all of us. In your holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well.